Now, I want you to change what you do. Be nice. What do you mean be nice? Be a little more upbeat. Be succinct. Be quick. We don't have a lot of time. We've got a long interview coming up, so be as nice as you can. All right. You ready? I'm ready. All right, go. Hello. It's the Outdated Wrestling Hour. Everybody and welcome back to the Outdated Wrestling Hour. My name is Bob Smith, and I'm your host. I used to be in the wrestling magazine business for many years, WCW and Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and other magazines and all the London publishing books. Glad to have you back. I was in a lousy mood, and then I talked to our guest Joe Puccio, and the sun came out. We had such a fun conversation. We're going to talk about classic. Old school wrestling play-by-play commentators. Not color commentators, the play-by-play guys. We're going to save the color commentators for a future episode. Joe is a great wrestling journalist, a great guy, and we always have fun talking. This will be his second appearance on the show, and uh, we're really, really happy to have him. So I want to get right to this. It's a lengthy conversation, but like a good rock song, there's not a second wasted on this one. We had such a nice time talking, and we hope you enjoy hearing it. So get out your pens and paper. Um, maybe you'll think of an announcer that we didn't mention. We'd like to hear from you. If you do, it's outdatedwrestling at gmail.com. And for any comments about this show or any of the shows. Also, we'll have some housekeeping and a special thank you to a new fan club member at the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. And, yes, we're going to do the trivia contest soon. Coming up within the next few weeks, it's going to happen. I hope that's going to be a hoot and holler and a lot of laughs and a lot of fun. So anyway, enough of my yakking. Let's talk about the great wrestling announcers with the one and only Joe Puccio. Okay, I'm as excited as I can be because the last time I had Joe Puccio on the show, we kicked ass in the ratings, folks. Joe is the uh, owner of the second most popular show we have broadcasted to date, and I'm so glad to have this veteran wrestling journalist back with us. Welcome back, Joe Puccio. Thank you for being here. This is going to be a good one. Bob, thank you so much. Thanks for that introduction. And, uh, Thank you so much for asking me back. Uh, the last time was a lot of fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to today again as well. Well, this time we had talked about this, and we had wanted to do a show on wrestling announcers, play-by-play guys. And I want to explain to the listeners, first off, we're going to look at a lot of them here. And it's a, probably a pretty lengthy show, but we'll see how it works out. We're just talking about the A voice and hosts of various wrestling shows from the sixties to now. And if you, you know, if you wanted to hear about Jerry Lawler or, you know, Jesse Ventura, we're thinking of doing a comment, a color commentator show, because there's a reason for that. Our list goes back so far that 
color commentators weren't all that common in the old days. Joe, do you remember? I don't know if you're old enough to remember when most wrestling shows used to have one host and one voice, and that was it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that was the norm for a while. And then it was really, I don't think it was till the, until the 1980s when it really became the standard when you had your, your co-host, your color commentator, and then even going further, the heel uh, color commentator, which also came in along in the 80s. So yeah, absolutely. I think it started out as just your, your regular play-by-play guy calling, yeah, the, I, calling the action. I actually think the WWF may have been the leaders in that. They had Antonino Rocca for a while with Vince McMahon, if you can believe that. And then they had Bruno Sammartino. Um, they had others like Angel Mosca. Nobody even remembers that. Right. And, um, you know, they, they kept, and Pat Patterson did it for a long time, maybe a couple of years. So, you know, I, 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 I think of, you know, Gordon Soley's work, and I think of him alone. I don't think of him with a color guy. And I know later on in Continental, he had Charlie Plath, who later became the host of that show. But um, I remember Gordon as being a singular voice most of the time. Yeah, and I think I think that speaks to how good these guys were that they mm-hmm. were able to they were able to really uh keep the viewers attention uh just calling the matches and you didn't have an interaction, you didn't have a back and forth. It was just one person solo calling the matches. Uh and that really speaks to just how how talented they were. Yep. And you know what there's a vast difference in the way they used to commentate in the old days when I was a kid to now <laughs> because they weren't selling you anything. They were presenting wrestling as a sport, and what you were watching was real. And they helped get that over to the viewers. And uh, this is why they used to really get mad at those bad guys at the arenas, because you know the announcers would tell you everything you knew about them, where they were from, and oh my gosh, it looks like he had a foreign object. <laughs> you know, it it was a whole different ball of wax back in the day. Um, today, they you know hype Roman Reigns like he's the greatest thing since you know sliced bread. Comparing him to San Martino and Backlund and all the others when he's had a fraction of the um, you know title defenses and cheats every match and outside interference and what have you. So times have changed. The way you know we look at wrestling has changed. But everybody has their favorite announcers. I, I think it's time we do this. You know, and, and, and another show I wanted to ring announcers to the guys with the mics who you know. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen from, you know, parts unknown, Mr. B, you know, or whatever, whatever the guy's name was. You remember yes. those? You remember the old school? Remember they always, old men with bad fitting tuxedos usually? Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember those guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get it. Well, that would be a good show. We're going to do that one too. But let's, let's, enough of my yak and let's get to uh, a first on my list. You can guess who it was. I already mentioned his name. It's Gordon Soley. Probably the most lauded play-by-play commentator of all time. Uh, he worked everywhere. Uh, I wrote down World Championship Wrestling, Georgia Championship Wrestling, the NWA proper, Championship Wrestling for Florida, USA Championship Wrestling, Continental Pro Wrestling USA, New Japan he did for a while. And probably just a bunch of places I didn't mention here. Um, he also, co- just a trivia, he also co-hosted the syndicated hour that ran for two years. Pro Wrestling This Week with my friend Bill After, which was a weekly syndicated, usually shown on Saturday, wrestling news show. Uh, you remember his uh, catchphrases? Uh, he'd say, his face is a crimson mask. Yes. Right? Or, oh, it's broken into a Pier 6 brawl. Pier 6 you know, brawl. Another one. I love when he got exasperated. He'd just say, 
I think we've heard just about enough of this. <laughs> and he, he, the, the camera would pan over his face and they'd get the heel off the screen. But Gordon, it was a sport when Gordon solely worked. I, I can't help but think as an overall presence on wrestling, he's still about as good as it gets. Did you have a lot of experience watching him? I did. Uh, when I first got into wrestling, uh, I did start, uh, solely was the announcer for a lot of the different territories uh, that I would watch. Um, possibly the most influential uh, of that of that type. I mean, I know Jim Ross has gone on record as saying he was a huge influence on him. Um, like you said, he had the catchphrases. Uh, I think he was even the one that that coined Suple, uh instead, instead of suplex, instead yeah. of suplex, right? right? I think that was him. And then, but he uh, was correct too. That's yeah. the way it should be pronounced. <laughs> it should be right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I remember from the different, depending on where he was broadcasting from. So long from the Sunshine State, or so long right. from the the Peach the Peach State of Georgia, <laughs> and things like that. So he had his trademarks, you know. But he was such a serious journalist. He was sort of like I always kind of considered him like the Walter Cronkite right. of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't a game. It wasn't a joke. It was a no, sport. Very serious. And uh, he had a sense of humor. Once in a while, he could crack one. I mean, he was one of my. F- Favorite times out of the ring working for PWIs. I think we were in Baltimore or something like that. It was a WCW event late in his career. And they were barely using him at the end. He was kind of hanging around and doing a few things. But I, I, you know, I was talking to him in a lounge, you know, bars, bar type place, but it was a lounge. And we, I said, how are you? He said, fine. You know, we talked on the phone before and he said, you know, what do you think of the show? He goes, I, I don't know. And I, I said something like, yeah, they just don't use the psychology anymore. And his eyes lit up. And we sat there and we talked wrestling psychology for like a half hour, 45 minutes. It, wow. was, it was really a lot of fun. He was, he was a nice gentleman. He was really cool. But he liked it old school. And he saw where the direction things were going. I don't think he was all that pleased with it. And uh, he wasn't around all that much longer. I think like NWA did, did with a lot of things. WCW, they misused a lot of their announcers like crazy. They, they they hired Lance Russell later on too to barely use him, you know, on some syndicated show or a C show or something like that. But um, you know, ageism, you know, it catches up to everybody on on media. You know, I think Gordon could have probably announced as an A announcer until the day he died, probably. Oh yeah, you know. You know? But it's ageism. It's you know, you'd have Missy Hyatt doing color commentator on some shows. You know, it's just you know what I'm saying. It's times change. You got to kind of accept it. You know, but in terms of a meat and potatoes, drama building, factual wrestling announcer, I don't think you can beat Gordon Soule. I just don't. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think, and just getting back to what you were saying before, I think because I think he passed away, and I want to say 2000 or 2001. Um, and he was pretty, I, I do remember reading a couple of interviews. He was pretty outspoken about the business and what did I become by that point? Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't surprise me, like you said, when you mentioned, you know, ring psychology and his eyes lit up. I mean, it doesn't surprise me because just think about what a difference the business was at that point yeah. in the year 2000 to when he started out. I mean, two completely different worlds. You know, well, so. you know, he's he, and he saw things changing. Like he was doing championship wrestling from Florida with the Grahams, and then I can't imagine what he was thinking when the, the Sullivan crew 
walked in there and yeah. changed that to like a really wild semi-hardcore thing. Yeah. You know, and it's really extreme angles too. I, I still think one of the funniest things I've ever seen on wrestling, unintentionally funny, was Kevin Sullivan and his his group. It was a tag team match on TV with about eight of his disciples around the ring and and the lock and Luna Vashon and all the others. And they are just going wild. Absolutely going wild, tearing their opponents apart. You know, Mark Lewin, all those guys. But the, the announcers were Buddy Colt and Coach John Heath, the two driest announcers trying to describe <laughs> this like it's a sport. And, you know, they're hitting people over the head with pieces of the ring steps and throwing them outside the ring and stomping them. And I'm like, this doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that combination, Buddy Colt and Coach John Heath no. calling a Kevin Sullivan match. It is a laugh fest. Like, it's unintentionally funny because, well, I, I don't think he should be actually, you know, using a screwdriver in that guy's <laughs> eye, you know? It, it was like, how, how in the world? How, that's, you know, they should have just been outraged the whole time and not even bothered to try to call it as a sport. Coach John Heath. Right, right, right. Unbelievable. Most straight-laced announcer in the world, and Buddy Colt was close to that, and it just didn't, didn't work. Yeah. But, you know, that that's when things started to change a lot. That was a precursor to hardcore, I thought. You agree with that, the Sullivan stuff? I mean, hangings that, and stabbing people in the heart and stuff. I mean, come on. That's true. That's true. I mean, you don't really, you don't think about it that far back, but you're right. It was sort of a precursor to uh, yeah. to the extreme, the real extreme stuff that we saw years later. Yeah. yeah only, you know, they just, like I said, they took that and ran with it, Todd and all the bunch there, but and others oh, yeah. too. So, all right. I'm going to, my list here is not listed in terms of a to z best to worst i'm not doing that i'm just okay. this is just memories of all these people and cleveland this one is for you joe i don't know if you have any experience hearing it maybe late in the wwf but i always will have a piece of my wrestling heart with jack reynolds who announced pedro martinez's nwf with ernie ladd and johnny powers in the 70s and um, George Crybaby Cannon and the Mongols and a bunch of, you know, Abdullah the Butcher after a while, always wore a tuxedo with perfectly quaffed hair. Real, He was such a handsome guy. He got acting roles. Yes. He was a very handsome, handsome man. And he was, people don't realize this. Uh, again, he worked from 70 to 74 um, in the, and then he worked for Eddie Einhorn and Pedro Martinez in the expansion of called the IWA which tried to go national in 1975. I don't want to say it failed spectacularly because it didn't in terms of quality. It had a lot of talent there. The problem was they couldn't get into big arenas. Einhorn got frustrated because, you know, they couldn't, they were running like the felt, was it the felt forum in New, in New York city and smaller arenas. Like they couldn't get the garden. So they ran like Roosevelt stadium and stuff. They couldn't. So the IWA kind of fizzled as soon as it started, but around the mid eighties, he got a job. As the the lead announcer for Pro Wrestling USA was the attempted merger of every other federation but the WWF in a syndicated TV program. Sometimes he'd focus on the NWA, the AWA, a couple of other federations. He was the original announcer, and his color guy in the early shows was Terry Funk. Really? If you can believe that. Yeah. God bless Terry. And after he started Pro Wrestling USA, you know how Vince had a habit of hiring people away from companies just to keep them away from 
competing. He hired Jack Reynolds right after that or during that. Yes. And Jack was the actual original host of Primetime Wrestling on Monday nights with Jesse the Body Ventura. So um, Jack always wore a tuxedo. He, and there's a great article when Jack died on Slam Wrestling about there's a, a wrestler manager in the old NWF called uh, Beautiful Bruce Swayze, right? And he's quoted in that article. I think Greg Oliver wrote the article. And he's quoted as saying, Jack was like half a mark. Because one time, Abdullah, his, he was managing Abdullah, and he's ripping a guy up in the studio, the TV studio, where he did. And Jack took a swing at Swayze, for real. Like, really, he tried to hit him. He tried, wow. he tried to stop what was going on. And, and, and Swayze said, I love that guy. That was so great. <laughs> because, it, <laughs> because he, I think, I think Jack was not he knew it was a work but by the same token i think he'd get outraged at really seeing people really get hurt um he never knew a hold he could he knew the name of i i admit this you know he somebody do a flying body press he'd call it a you know smashy off the top rope or something (laughs) he he just didn't he didn't he mislabeled every hold and every maneuver headlock would be a head squeeze you know all that kind of thing but he had a he had a vibrancy to him. He, how about he had some you know? How is this for action wrestling fans? He would always say things like that. And when he got mad, he'd go, "That's uncalled for." <laughs> oh, that's uncalled for. That guy would kick the guy after the bell. Oh, that's uncalled for. And he'd say that on every episode. I loved the old original NWF. I loved Jack Reynolds. He, like I said, it's your first love. It's the first show I ever watched. I have nothing but fond memories of Cleveland, Buffalo, and Albany and the NWF and the announcer, Jack Reynolds. I'm sorry. I'm waxing romantic here, but you know what? It's what that show is what got me into wrestling in the first place. That's great. That's important too. No, I, I believe it or not. I actually do have memories of Jack, um, but only from when he w- did his cup of coffee in the WWF. Um, mm-hmm. I do remember him there in 84, 85, whenever right. it was, Right. <laughs> excuse me. And, um, it was uh yeah i remember with ventura i think he also might have done i i feel like he might have worked with angelo mosca yes he did um at the yeah. time okay mm-hmm. yeah i definitely Actually, remember he, that one of the two syndicated shows i don't remember what they called them at that point it used to be all-star wrestling and championship wrestling i think they changed the name of one of them to something else eventually but they were two syndicated shows and the host was um jack reynolds he actually supplanted Vince on that show and uh, worked with Angela Mosca. You're absolutely right about that. That might have been the wrestling challenge or something yeah, like that, or yeah, I don't, you know, I, something I thought, like that. I always call it considered wrestling challenge to be a C show. Okay, uh, know, I know they brought that in, but the, uh, the original two were Championship Wrestling and All Star Wrestling, and I'll okay. never remember the lineage. But I know that Wrestling Challenge was actually a third show that was brought into the syndicated package, which was kind of just a, a overview of the other two shows. I thought. You know, okay. And somebody like Lord Alfred Hayes would go. Well, here's what happened in Philadelphia <laughs> when, and that was on the other show. But they, it was kind of like a hodgepodge of of stuff. Right. With, um. But in any event, yeah, I think Jack had a little bit more than a cup of coffee. He may have lasted two years. I'm not sure. Was it that long? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Uh, he, and another little fun fact. I think he was in. Uh, I, I believe he had a line uh, in The Godfather. He had a speaking uh, w- part? I believe, I could be wrong, but I, uh, from doing some of my research, I think he uh, he had a line that was 
it might have been cut, but I'm pretty sure he uh, he did have somewhat of a line in The Godfather. Oh, we can, we I can look, look that up. I got to look this up. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, I do know he he had gotten some a little bit of acting, and I think he did a little bit of modeling, believe it or not. And also, that I didn't know. He was a longtime favorite disc jockey um, radio personality in Cleveland for a long time. He had a nighttime show. And I remember taking a shower in my hometown of Catskill, New York, and whatever the Cleveland station was, it must have had a a big wattage because I could pick up that show. And every so often I would hear Jack Reynolds. I went, wow, that's Jack Reynolds. Uh, And then I realized at that point his main job was as a radio guy. And he had a great okay. voice, a very smooth delivery. Like I said, wrestling, he could be a little stilted because I don't know if he ever really researched it. Yeah. You know, he didn't seem like the type. But his enthusiasm made up for, he's like Milt DeVruskin in Canada, who worked with George Cannon, who I think knew all that much, but his enthusiasm made up for his lack of technical acumen, so to speak. Um, I'm sorry, I'm waxing poetic about No, that's again, fine. It's- Jack Jack Reynolds and Johnny Powers and Pedro Martinez and Ernie Ladd and that whole crew uh, out of Buffalo in Cleveland was the first thing that made me fall in love with wrestling way back when I was about 10, 11, 12 years old. It really grabbed, really grabbed me. I never missed a show when I could. And uh, Kurt Von Hess was one of the stars. And I, I see his daughter on Facebook waxing about his career. Kurt Von Hess was a, a Russian character and who you know bald head the whole usual yeah thing he was good too he kind of a little underrated because he worked federations that size he worked with with the chic in detroit too but you know good stuff i mean that show could get really violent too that was that was not a soft that wasn't like memphis with two minute matches and quick squashes they had some abdul on that show was scary Young Abdullah, if you saw old Abdullah was scary, young Abdullah <laughs> was frightening. Right. I'm telling right. you, he would do anything. It was really crazy. All right. Enough enough about that. Um, on my previous podcast, I proclaimed this gentleman to be the Vince Scully of professional wrestling announcers, as he was the type of person who made you feel at home. Come on in and sit a spell and listen to this wrestling. Lance Russell, the friendliest. They loved him in Memphis, and he loved them back. Um, he was, it was real to Lance. He made it sound real. He made it sound easy. You know, a longtime TV veteran thrust into the wrestling world, and he grabbed it by the horns, and there was nobody like him, nobody more likable. He was Memphis wrestling. He really was. And, uh, like I say, late in his career, the NWA hired him and misused him. I wish he'd never left Memphis. But, you know, if he made if he made some coin, good for him. I think that's the only reason he did it. Is they gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. Um, but Channel 5 and Saturday mornings, and when I was on that show, unfortunately, I missed Lance. He had left by that point. And I'll give a 1A to Dave Brown, who was his color commentator, who became the main commentator, picked up right where Lance left off. They're the reason, that, one of the main reasons, by the Memphis Saturday morning wrestling live show, in my mind, is the greatest studio wrestling program of all time, shot in a TV studio as opposed to an arena. I don't know if you got much exposure to it. There was nothing like it. It was fresh every week. And that's thanks to Lance and Dave. And uh, I have nothing but the fondest of memories for them. 
Yeah, my exposure to that was through t- uh, some tape trading mm-hmm. uh, back sure. when I was growing up. Um, so I definitely have exposure, and he was so smooth. I mean, and another, you mentioned Dave Brown. It was it was Brown and and Lance Russell that gave Jerry Lawler his break. Um, mm-hmm. If if it wasn't for them, Jerry Lawler would have never gotten into the business. Uh, I think Lawler draws, what was it? The story is Lawler used to draw cartoons and he sent them over to Lance Russell and Russell put it on the air. Um, and that kind of gave him his break. But uh, yeah, Russell was extremely smooth. Um, definitely one of the greats. My, I'm much more familiar with him since it wasn't through just tape trading. But when I used to see him in the late 80s with WCW, like, mm-hmm. you, like you mentioned. Right. Um, and like you said, I mean, they really didn't know what they had with him. But that's not to say he wasn't good. I mean, I, I he definitely left an impression with me with uh, me back then, eighty eight, eighty nine, when he was working with uh, Bob Cordell, and right. Uh, right. and I think he was working with Gordon um, a little bit at that time too. Yeah, in WCW and probably Jim Ross as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he he left a, a huge impression on me. Oh gosh, he was so great when he got angry. Oh come on now! You know he was. I know. And his his calls in the they used to have a tag team that lost all the time called Rough and Ready. Twelve twenty seven Rough and Ready get the dupe. You know it was like he had that that choppy sing songy Southern style smooth. He, you know what he was? He was chicken fried steak man with a microphone. He was so smooth. And uh, God, I love them. I love listening to him. I the highlight again. One of the highlights of my PWI career was the tape trading. And finding wrestling for the first time, Memphis wrestling, and I, I watched about twelve different hours of programming every week that I had access to. But the first thing I tuned to was Memphis every week. Wow. Uh, it, it was an incredible TV program. It, do you know that that program at one point, and I don't know what period it was, eighty percent of the people in the Mid South were tuned to that show every Saturday morning. Eighty. That's amazing. Phenomenal all-time record ratings for for a local program. You know what I'm saying? It, it's like it, it's unheard of now. Oh, now that that's yeah, that's that's not even a. And they were they were you know Rob Blaine was saying they were up against you know kids cartoons like Fat Albert and all this other stuff. <laughs> but eighty percent at one point, I'm not saying it was that all the time. Yeah, was tuned to Channel Five or the other station to watch Memphis wrestling and see what, as Rod Blaine said, to see what Jerry Lawler did. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, you can't and being on that show was a real highlight N- not even being on the show if i wasn't on the show just to go into channel five are you kidding me the yeah. history in that building please nirvana for a wrestling guy i i mean i i don't i don't get all like uh gushy but that's that's as good as it got i wish i could have went back a few more times i did go twice but i wish i could have gone back more often that must have been amazing, yeah. And he's he must have started out in, I mean, it had to be the early '60s, right? Or I mean, he, he's he's got to be one of the, the longest Lance? tenured ones, yeah. Yeah, I, I, at least in the '70s, yeah, at yeah. least the '70s, I would think. Um, and Dave Brown did it for a long time after Lance left, and uh, you know, they had some other guys, Corey Macklin, who was pretty good, and uh, Michael St. John, who I liked. I, they, they always had the good flavor. Whoever they picked the announcers, they always had a good flavor for. I guess the Jarrett's did that. But, um, wow, man. Good stuff. I mean, real good stuff. And uh, for, for anybody out there, there is a lot of Memphis Wrestling on Amazon and YouTube. And oh, you yeah. Can hear, you can hear them at their primes. There's tons of it out there. 
And I think even, I don't know if Mario Savoldi's new tape library has it or not, but there's a few of those wrestling networks that have Memphis too. And I'm talking peak stuff, 80s and 90s. So check it out. You really should see. If you've never heard Lance, you got to hear Lance. You got to hear him. All right. Which leads us right into Jim Ross, of course. Right. Long time leading voice of the old UWF and WCW. Worked his way up from being a referee to doing this to doing that. And then uh, he was a real mover and shaker behind the scenes. But And amazingly, he's still commentating time to time. I guess age is catching up with him a little bit, but he's still with AEW. And he may have the longest in terms of when he started to now re- announcing career in history. I can't think of anybody who's done it from the early 80s. This is a long time, folks. The early 80s till now? Really? That's decades. Yeah. That's a long career. And rightfully so. It, you know, even when he entered the when he entered the WWF, I didn't think it was a good match. He made it work. Like crazy. Like crazy. I, he fit right in. At first I thought he was too southern sounding. No. It just worked for him. You know why he went with it? He got the cowboy hat on, mm-hmm. went with the way his dialect was. Um and of course, catchphrases. He's beating him like a redheaded stepchild, and uh, and uh, he's running like a scalded dog. You know, stuff you couldn't <laughs> get away with now, probably. And it's going to be a slobber knocker. You know, it was just he made it. He made it fun in his kind of old school Southern wrestling way. Um, there's just something about him. His chemistry with Jerry Lawler was off the charts. Um, always worked. Always a big behind-the-scenes force. And he makes a hell of a barbecue sauce if you've ever had it. It's really not bad. <laughs> I have had it, but I, I actually prefer his uh, his spicy mustard. I've never had that, really. The mustard is really good, yep. Do you have it available at local stores? Because I had to order mine online. I did it online. No, I, yeah. I have never seen it in a store. But uh, yeah, it's really good. Very spicy. But um, Oh, you know what? I did see it in a store. I think I saw it in a shop right at one point. Oh, wow. Yeah, because they have they have a big selection of shop, right? So yeah, yeah, he he's, he's he no, he went national, he went worldwide. You know, and it is really good. He's not full of beans. No. That's good food. He he's he's a barbecue expert. And I mean, you know, talking about making it work when he got signed by when the WWF signed them. I mean, you're talking. He debuted if we if we remember his debut WrestleMania WrestleMania nine in Las Vegas. And do you remember what he was wearing? He was wearing a toga. He's wearing a toga. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just remember watching that on pay-per-view at my friend's house and we just were in awe. We're just like, I can't believe Jim Ross <laughs> is calling WrestleMania in a toga. <laughs> um, you know, and like you said, he made it work. I mean, mm-hmm. he called the matches, you know, you didn't even think of him as a, as a jokey WWF type character at that point. Um, and he did a great job for them. I mean, it's, it really is true, though, that you said that he has such a long tenure, that that guy's been been announcing since the 80s, and it is true. And it's sad when you think about the real reason why he was taken off the air in the WWF in whenever it was in the 90s or the, or the 2000s, I should say, <clears throat> was because it, it, was, it was basically on appearance. You know, Vince was going with the younger movement and he wanted younger guys. I think that's when he when he wanted Michael Cole to replace him. And they tried to replace him so many times and nobody could ever fill his shoes. I mean, who was who were they going to get that's better than Ross at that point? Um, um, such is the times we live in. Um, 
I mean, there were articles six, seven years ago about a big bowling company that runs bowling centers was firing managers because they were older and they had gray hair and replacing mm-hmm. them with 25-year-old comely woman. And they, they actually were saying they were hiring attractive young people who didn't right. know anything about the business because they were attractive young people. Right. That's not the way to go in any business. If you got somebody that knows what they're doing, keep them. And the same with wrestling announcing. If you got somebody who is the standard, why would you ever get rid of them for any reason other than they're not physically able to do it anymore? Now, I know he had the Bell's palsy, which I think it did it did affect his speech for a while. Yes, yeah. Um, but he's the standard. He is. How, how do you how do you go how do you figure who's who's going to even compete with him in terms of painting a word picture while the match is going on? And and if you think about the irony of you're not talking about a performer that's that's in front of the camera, you're talking about a guy that 90% of the time is going to be off camera who you're only hearing his voice. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of ironic that they would even consider, uh, the aesthetics in that sense of, you know, we need someone young, we need someone good looking, we need someone fit or whatever the case was. And I know this is about play by play announcers, but look at ring announcing the, the biggest, the biggest example, Howard Finkel, they took right. Howard Finkel off the air and they brought in uh, Lillian Garcia, who was good. I mean, nothing, nothing against Lillian Garcia, but the point is they had the voice of the generation of WWF back then, mm-hmm. and they took him off the air because he was older and he was balding, I guess, or whatever the case was, and they wanted somebody, they wanted an attractive woman. Have you noticed that every <clears throat> single WWE ring announcer since Lillian Garcia sounds like Lillian Garcia? It, it, this matches for the... Intercontinental Championship. They all say with the same inflection that she did. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think they're telling their announcers, male and female, to sound like Lillian Garcia. I really do. Mm-hmm. So, well, anyway, we're off topic, but yeah, I yeah, just yeah. noticed that. They all sound like her. Except for one thing, they're more strident now. But you know what? You go to a baseball game and they don't say, number six, Jeff McNeil. They'll say, Jeff McNeil. Right, oh, God right, almighty, right. it bothers me. Get off my lawn. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> um, no, but I, I definitely agree. I mean, I think you know, speaking from somebody who who you know was watching wrestling in the starting in the early eighties uh, until now, I think most people from my generation would call Ross the goat um, of that of that era. Um, obviously in the previous era, you have guys like we talked about Gordon Soley, who would probably, who would probably take that honor. But, uh, as far as Ross, I mean, you just, um, for, for a guy that really knows his stuff, a guy that's done everything in the business. I mean, it's really hard to beat him. And like you did, you did mention this as well. Nowadays, um, I, I think he's he'd probably be better served as a which which AEW is kind of doing right now um, mm-hmm. as a special guest, right. you know, coming out calling one match because you could just kind of tell that he's not really maybe he's not as into it. You know, he pokes fun at things and he kind of makes his feelings known there. He's he's it's a different era and it's sort of it's starting to pass him by a little bit. So I think he should be treated more like a legend at this point, where he comes out, gives his insight, you know, calls a couple of matches. Um, but as far as a daily, as far as a weekly play-by-play guy, I'm not really on board at this point. Well, I will say this. I have, you know, I will speak to this, um, 
sometime soon in the show, but I vowed not never to watch AEW again based on the things of the last 10 days as we record this. I'm very angry with the entire setup. But I will say this. Them hiring both Ross and Shivani was brilliant. Oh, yeah. Especially Shivani, who had disappeared. And, um, I mean, they're, they're doing fine. I think if there's a problem with them, it's it, with AEW, it's not, not the announcing. A lot of people don't like Excalibur, but I just think he's kind of there, which doesn't mean I don't think he's bad. I... He doesn't bother me. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't do anything that makes me go, get off the, you know, like other announcers have done in the past. I'm surprised you said that. Are you saying that you think a lot of people don't like Excalibur? Well, you know, Jim Cornette particularly. And, oh, okay. And, and, uh, <laughs> well, that's a different other story. Other podcasters who are far more famous and successful than I am have taken issue with Excalibur. I have no problem with it. I, I, if there's a problem with AEW, it's not the commentating. Right? I, don't, I, I really don't think so. And uh, and the other show Kevin got Kevin Kelly back brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean those are those are good professional announcers. They they can't go wrong with professionals. You is for my this is my personal opinion. You'll never hear me say a bad word about Excalibur. I think he's I think he is phenomenal. I think he does a wow. an outs, I think he does an outstanding job every week. Um, he's able to tell the stories. He certainly knows his stuff. He knows the moves. Mm-hmm. Um, He's able to get get people over, not get himself over, but get the talent over. Um, it's you know, it's it's kind of funny. Um, I think the biggest thing with him is talking about appearance is his mask, because um, you know my wife is not a wrestling fan at all, but she uh, came into the the room one day when <laughs> he he was on, and she was like, "What the hell is this? Why is the announcer in a suit?" wearing a mask like a wrestler she couldn't get it through her head like right, why right, are we right. supposed to take this seriously and right. i said you know what i never even think of him in a mask anymore it's just i just hear him and i just think he's really good and it's like he's basically been able to overcome that gimmick if you want to call it that you know but i don't know <laughs> hey he's a play-by-play guy and i think i think excalibur is really really good yeah i like i like the fact that you threw him in and it's good and i yeah i think wives of wrestling fans who aren't wrestling fans the phrase what am i looking at is probably the most used in every household in america when somebody who's not a wrestling fan walks in and sees wrestling what oh am yeah I looking at you know that you, i've heard it a million times yeah you know yeah. that's just the way it works <laughs> and it always it always happens to be that she walks in when there's something that's pretty embarrassing. Ridiculous, ridiculous. You know, always. Yes. There could be a really yeah. great match going on where the guys are really trading moves and this and that. And then she'll walk in and it'll be like, you know, Billy Gunn, you know, talking about the ass man and being right, the yeah. ass man and stuff like that, you know. And she's yeah. like, what, what is this crap, you know? So, well, but it, anyway. It, what am I looking at? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I, it's, usually, it's usually when it's something super duper violent or super, super stupid. It's yeah. never like a guy in a headlock. You know, no. not, never. All right, let us move on to a couple of smaller federations. Guys, I want to give their due. And I'm a little bit biased in the because he was the guest on my fourth show. I want to give a shout out to Terry Sullivan, who worked for The Sheik when The Sheik was hot. I used to call him the kid on the syndicated shows that I got tapes of because this long-haired kid showed up out of nowhere and started doing commentary, color commentary, and he was a ring announcer. He later became the announcer, and this was his best work, I thought, of his career for Bruiser Bedlam when Dr. Jerry Graham Jr. was uh, booking, and they had young Scott Steiner, then called Scott Rex Steiner, 
as their champion. And I've never seen a federation turn around from almost going out of business to becoming exciting with super hot crowds, really red hot action. And I've never seen anything like it. If for anybody, Dave Dynasty out there, see his tapes on YouTube. Try to watch his tapes of the show called Bruiser Bedlam in chronological order if you can. And you will see lumbering Yukon Moose Sherlock in the early ones and a bunch of nobodies and five different guys called the Hooded Hangman and Bobo Brazil and Flying Fred Curry. And it's just hanging on. It's just hanging on. And Dick the Bruiser in color commentary, just hanging on. Somebody gave Dr. Jerry Graham the book. They brought Terry Sullivan in around that point. Uh, because he, and Terry had a way of, he was closest thing to Gordon Sully, I heard, in that all hell could be breaking loose in the ring and he would keep his calm. He'd never raise his voice like they do now, screaming. No, he said, he'd say, he'd be outraged too, but he, he, he certainly wouldn't make himself the show. He's putting, he's putting over what people were seeing. And the show was, Oddly enough, pretty bloody for a TV syndicated show. They were probably only on three markets, mm-hmm. but these tapes are priceless. And Dave is telling me when he was on the show, he's got more to transfer. He has the original cartridges of Bruiser Bredlam shows that have never been transferred over into uh, digital files. And he's going to do that. And I can't wait because there's more, more treasures to uncover from Indianapolis to WWA. But Terry Sullivan, I got to give him. He was real good. Um, the only problem with Terry is, you know, he was a little transient. You know, he left he left Detroit, went to Indianapolis and worked worked with uh, Bruiser. And uh, he left that after a few years. And I think that was his last big. He says he still does some commentary. I don't know where it is. He's real good. I don't care that he's in a six. I'd hire him in a minute. He's wow. still got it. He's still got it. He was a guest on the show. He sounded exactly as he did in the old days. He's a fountain of information. Yes. Right now on Facebook, he's writing histories, long histories of time periods in the wrestling that he saw. Him him and Dave Drayson, who was Supermouth Dave Drayson back in the day, who managed the Sheik late in the Sheik's career, they are a priceless source of internet information for old school wrestling in Detroit and Indianapolis. Also, they did some videos on YouTube together with all about Detroit wrestling history that are spectacular, and they're free. <laughs> so I, I insist, if you've never heard Terry Sullivan, go on YouTube, type in Big Time Wrestling, and sit down with a bowl of popcorn and be ready to have a ball. If you've got YouTube on Roku, you can watch it on your TV. You're going to see some good old school wrestling and some good old school history. Thanks to the wonderful Terry Sullivan, and that's what I have to say about that. That's great. That's high praise. And I'm actually jotting down, jotting that down now because I'm going to make a note to myself to check out some of those tapes or yes, some of that and, stuff on YouTube. And let, let me give props one more time to Nostalgic Dave Dynasty and Chris P. Lettuce and Armstrong Alley on YouTube. Fountains show after show of classic and not classic old wrestling from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, Hawaii and Detroit and and Pittsburgh and stuff I didn't even know existed. And I was working for the magazines at the time. I am telling you, these guys are tireless heroes of old school wrestling. Uh, it's incredible what they do. Amazing. So right. anybody who hasn't checked them out on YouTube, YouTube will become your favorite wrestling TV channel. 
if you follow these guys. I, it's, it's better than I'm making it sound. Great. Really great stuff. So obviously you, you didn't have a lot of experience. Do you have any experience with Brian Webster at IWCCW? Uh, Marius Savoldi. Marius Savoldi. Right. I, I have not seen a lot of him, admittedly. Okay. I just want to give a shout out to him. I thought he was a really good up and coming announcer when he worked for them. Very professional, smooth style. Very um, even keel guy. Another even keel guy. I appreciate, I appreciate the guys who did the scream. Very even keel, smooth right. announcing style. And they, for some reason, they let me do color with him once in a while. In fact, I once did an entire car, just me and him in the booth. And he was good. He knew every hold. He knew every star. He knew how to present it. Um, the, he, he was great. He was kind of like Marv Albert. And then he would use the inflection in his voice to, to make a, I think he always got a pin. You know, he would, he would just, it would come to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. Real sports oriented. Brian, I don't know what he did after IWCCW. Apparently, he um, he just did an interview on somebody else's podcast, which was uh, who? Which podcast was that? I don't remember. I'm sorry, guys, I don't remember the podcast. But um, it was good to see him back on the scene, just getting interviewed. And I hope we haven't heard the last from Brian Webster. He was real good, man, real good. So if you haven't seen him, uh, the Savoldi Tape Library is also on YouTube now. And that's a subscription service, a few nominal bucks a month. And there's also a free area there. And I think they just debuted with another carrier. And I'll be darned if I can remember what that is, too. I'll, I'll announce that on a later show. But the Savoldi Wrestling Library of tapes is not only their stuff. They're getting stuff from Global and Texas and all over the wrestling world. And it's getting oh, really? bigger and bigger by the week, it seems. And it's going to be a big thing, I think. I think a lot of people are gravitating toward it right now. And you'll get to hear. Brian Webster, and not to mention Mario Savoldi and all the other announcers that work for ICW and IWCCW. Uh, uh, a concept I never understood, but that's what they <laughs> called it. In the, well, what happened was World Class had folded, and uh, Kevin, they hired Kevin on there for like one show or something, and they still – I don't know if he bought it. I don't know how it worked when they became international world-class championship wrestling. Right, They right. kind of merged ICW and IWCCW. Yeah. And it was a tongue twister sometimes, you know. <laughs> but um, it is what it was. But uh, I tell you what, with a lesser announcer than Brian Webster, it wouldn't have been half as good. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, that is that is very high praise. So while we're talking East Coast, let's talk old, old, young Vince McMahon. Get it? <laughs> okay old young vince 70s vince early 80s vince pre-expansion right. vince right it wasn't bad i can't vouch for what happened to him after 1985 but i'll tell you this he was real good at getting people over and could have a really dramatic flair like when there was a betrayal like the bruno san martino larry zabisco match and when Peter Maivia attacked Bob Backlund and, and uh, his manager, Arnold Skolin, he could really get dramatic, and it wasn't the way he does it now. Somebody told him to shout and get crazy about 85 or 86 when they were expanding, maybe even as early as 84, or 83 even. Uh, I watched all this stuff all those years, and, oh, he was, let me tell you something. I wrote this down. And I never forgot this match until 1973 in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. I think it was All-Star Wrestling. 
on the show, Tony Gurria and Haystacks Calhoun beat Mr. Fuji and Toru Tanaka for the World Tag Team Championship. Championship. And it was a very dramatic pinfall because you had, I think, Haystacks gave one of the guys a big splash. He's laying on top of him. And Tony Gurria stood on top of Haystacks with his hands toward the heavens, his fists toward the heavens, as he made the pinfall. The place went batty. I mean, literally blew the roof off like I've never seen on a TV match. They went to a commercial break, and when they came back for the last segment on the show, you see Vince McMahon with the microphone. He's surrounded by college-age and teenage guys. Maybe a couple girls were mixed in, but he's going, this was one of the most exciting days, I'm paraphrasing, in the history of the World Fair. What do you think, guys? And they all went, yeah! (laughs) It was real, man. It was real. This crowd was ecstatic. This crowd was apeshit. They were absolutely thrilled. And Vince did an incredible job bringing that feeling out on through the cathode tube, you know, into the, you know, orthogon tube, as, as Ernie Kovacs used to say. I'm so old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of the best wrestling shows I ever saw in my life was that tag team wow. championship. I, I, it's the type of thing. I felt like I watched it two weeks ago. It just stuck in my mind all these years later as one of the most exciting, real moments I've ever seen in wrestling. And the place went nuts. The crowd surrounded the ring. It was just a tag team title. Can you imagine that now? No. No. But they hated they hated Fuji and Tanaka and Albano. And they beat him. Clean. Good stuff. And Vince had a lot of good stuff in the 70s into the early 80s. Have you had enough experience seeing those years to make a uh, comment about that? Or I did. Okay, so I I did have a lot of experience watching Vince in the early '80s or maybe late '70s, early '80s um, through a lot of tapes, old footage. Mm-hmm. And you're right; he was a lot calmer. It was very understated. Um, he got his point across, but it was a completely different Vince yes. than the expansion Vince. Right. Um, and I got to say, this might be an unpopular opinion. I liked both versions. Um, I did, I did like Vince um, when he was, when he was doing that sort of low key, uh, low key announcing style. But I really think, uh, you know, Vince got criticized a lot for his commentary Um after the expansion, because like you said, he was over the top. He was screaming. He was uh, outraged, and and you know, it just everything was uh, was was yelling at at, at the at, yeah, uh, uh, at the wrestlers. Um, I thought he did. I thought he got he got the stories over. I thought he worked really well with Ventura. Um, I mean, who really wouldn't have? I thought even when he was with Heenan later on, he was good. I never had a problem with Vince. Um, during those days, I just feel like a lot of the criticism was directed at him because he didn't have the technical knowledge. We definitely know that the guy, you know, he didn't, he didn't know a lot of wrestling moves. Um, but I don't think he was really needed, um, for what the WWF was or what the WWF became at that point. You know, the it's, it's even like today. I mean, they're really more about telling stories than about, calling it like a sports contest or, or, or calling the moves specifically. 
like I said, it's probably an, uh, I'm, I'm, it's a very polarizing thing because I know Vince has his detractors, uh, from a commentating standpoint we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has his detractors. I always liked him. I always got a, got a kick out of him. And, um, and I think a big part of that too, and I'll admit is probably just because again, when you talk about what you're growing up with and, you know, your, your childhood and, and when he's the voice of what you're growing up with, a lot of times we look at it a little differently where we only remember that it, we, we think of it as the best, you know, always oh, the mm-hmm. best time, the best this. I don't know. I, I, I liked him. I will say this. I'll go, I'll go back to something about knowing the holds. I firmly believe because I watched a lot of wrestling and I watched a lot of old wrestling that the WWF started the bit where every wrestler had a finisher all the time. Greg DeHammer Valentine with his version of the figure for a leg lock or Ken Patera with his swinging neck breaker or Bob Backlund with his atomic drop down the list goes. Every star had a finisher, which continues to this day. Whereas if you watch the NWA, you'd see somebody win with a small package or he wouldn't necessarily use a, the same patented finisher for every. And now the mindset is, is that you can't, the guy can't win unless he uses that finisher, which is so unlike sports. Hey, you know, if you have an opportunity to pin somebody and he's laying there prone, why not just jump on him? But I think that the WWF utilized that mindset first and it spread when they expanded. I'm firmly of that belief. I'm firmly of that belief. And I, when you said he didn't have the knowledge of holes, I think he helped name them. <laughs> Seriously. I, because well, everybody between 1976 and about, well, forever, has a name for a finisher now. And it's an original name. Like, it could be a Russian leg sweep, but I think the Miz, what do they call his thing? The grand finale or something, whatever the hell it is, you know. Yeah. But you know what I mean? It's just a Russian leg sweep. But, but yeah. they rename it for each star. And I think that's a WWF thing that they came up with and have stuck with. And I frankly think it's hackneyed, and I think it's that somebody should rethink that. That's why interesting. Can't, why can't you win with something else? I, you're talking now, yeah. That's it, it's it's almost like like you said, it's the accepted standard now yeah. in wrestling everywhere. Um, everywhere, everyone yeah. does that now. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it's just one of those things that you kind of. It's just wrestling now. I mean, yeah, that's, that's just the way wrestling is. That is now. just an observation for I hate to say it as fifty years of watching this stuff. It wasn't always like that. I knew guys that had no finishers. Uh, tons of star. I'm talking stars, main eventers who would who would take advantage of a situation and pin a guy in the ring. There were there were more small packages. That's not a finisher. That's just a way to tie somebody up. Schoolboys. Um, sometimes I think I saw guys get pinned after body slams. Right. You know, well, na- nowadays the evolution is that he, a finisher really isn't even a finisher anymore because now a guy has to hit his finisher like five times before the guy doesn't kick out. You know, it's like, yeah, but, but it's it, 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 it just, it's just, it's so illogical. Like a guy like Seth Rollins has to do the curb stomp. Yeah. Before he can get a pin. He, have you seen him score a pin without using it? No. So it's like, it's, it's, it's too predictable. 
I'm sorry, we're way off the we're it's way off the off tangent topic. here. Yeah, but I, I will say that's a little bit more related to the topic about Vince too. Is that right. everybody always says that his his call, if you remember back in the day, was what a maneuver, what a maneuver, everything, mm-hmm. whatever the wrestler would do. Um, if he didn't know the name of the maneuver, he would say, what a maneuver. And the reason why I bring that up is when I went to see Jim Ross years ago, do one of his talk shows, uh, Mm -hmm. when he was doing that tour of talk shows, he, um, he had that bit in his show where he was answering questions from the audience and he was poking fun at Vince, you know, and he was Mm -hmm. basically imitating him saying now, what a maneuver, what a maneuver. (laughs) And the whole place was laughing, you know, everyone's like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it is kind of funny, but again, it's like back then we didn't think it, there was anything funny about it, but now we look back and we're like, Oh yeah, I guess Vince really, (laughs) it really didn't know the name of that hold. It's so juvenile though. Why does every maneuver need a name? Seriously, yeah. I don't care if, you know, Hurricane Rana or whatever. Why do they all need names? Why do you have to call them anything? No, seriously. It's if, true. If, you know, if, if Pete Alonzo for the Mets hits a home run, they don't call it Alonzo, Alonzo Blast or something. Oh, he hit his patented Alonzo Blast over the center field. No, right. it's a home run. It's the same thing. Right. Other sports, you know. I tell you, it would make, it would make, Remembering Things, moves a lot easier because you can't well, remember what everyone's is what everyone's name this, is. This now for is that move. I think I think Japanese wrestling passed down through the Wrestling Observer into a filter, right? Because the, the Observer did a lot to help popularize uh, Japanese wrestling, with it, and they they would learn the names of the holds, and all of a sudden that was the thing you needed to do. You had to name the holds. This is why so many of them have Japanese derived right. titles, right? And that's okay. But why is that important? <laughs> no, seriously, think of it in terms of a sport. It's why. The fact is, he outstrength the guy or he outthought the opponent. Does it matter that his thing was called a Hurricane Rana or a corkscrew, you know, suplex, whatever? Suple, excuse me. Suple. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the things that makes wrestling unlike anything else, right? That's right. And it, it can be really corny. <laughs> All right. Bill Mercer. Yes. Remember him? I do. WCCW. That's right. Not IWCCW, but the real WCCW. WCCW, yep. WCCW. And uh, Texas legend, world-class Texas all-star. Earlier versions of shows with Fritz von Erich. He was was in Texas for a long time. He could do malaprops as good as Ralph Kiner ever thought of doing them. He used to say Nord the Barbarian was from Norwegia. That's a famous quote from him. Uh, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic. Um, but he was great again over heels and instrumental in building the Von Erich dynasty. He really was. He, 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 you know what? Bill Mercer could put over, you know, ice cream bars to Eskimos. He, he had a way of really painting a word picture and make you excited about the good guys. And uh, that's old school. And he was good. No accent. He didn't have a southern twang or anything no. to his voice. He sounded like a classic radio guy, um, very likable. And uh, also a shout out also to Mark Lawrence, M- Lawrence, who did color and ring announcing and later graduated to play-by-play and did one of the 10 best calls I've ever heard from a match. I believe it was, I can't remember the arena, Union Arena, I think, Abdullah versus Brody. And the play-by-play was spectacular. 
he's sitting he's he's scared of the action going on in the ring so he climbed on Mark Lawrence climbed on top of a van this is around 86 or 87 he's on top of a van with a microphone so I'm up here because I'm afraid for the damage these two men are causing themselves and possibly others and he's up there going put on the disclaimers for the children because they were getting bloody they were both bloody and they were beating the 11 tar- you know how their matches were right it right. was a great call that's you know, funny. people people don't really talk about Mark a lot. I thought he was underrated as a play-by-play, and that call was great. I still have that on a VHS tape somewhere. I never got rid of that one. That's that's a classic. Yeah, but you yeah. know what? Texas, world-class, its own style, its own animal. When it was hot, it was red hot. You could thank Mercer and Lawrence for a lot of that. Absolutely. A lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. I was a... Uh... Uh, during that that glory period, I used to watch a lot of world class, and I mean Mercer was just so instrumental in getting those guys over, especially the Von Erichs. I mean, was there anything? There wasn't a lot like the Von Erichs in the glory years of, of world class. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just amazing, and he did such a great job. He gushed over the over them, and uh, yeah, really quality announcer. He he was he was there for five or six years. Probably longer than at that. least. I, I think yeah. in, in terms of when he started working with Fritz to when he left, and I think he veered off in another direction before he retired. But um, he was there a long time. Yeah, he was in that area yeah. a long time. I can't overlook him because he's no. he's he's important. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Bill Caudill, who preceded Vince. People thought that it was another announcer, but it was really B- Bill Caudill. I think I'm pronouncing his right, last name right. I think it was Caudill. He was a legend in Pittsburgh, and he used to do the, the Pittsburgh studio show. Mm-hmm. And the first WWF TV show I ever saw when I was living in Albany, New York as a child, he was the host. I think they dragged an old show on. The first one had him. The second one had Vince McMahon when he had just started. This is 1972. So maybe I saw okay. the last Bill Cardell show and then the first Vince McMahon show. If, I was, I, if it was the first Vince McMahon show, I, it, it may have been. Because the timing was right. So they had just come to our area. You know, they never promoted Albany before. And he, Bill was funny. Bill was funny. He was kind of like the 50s wrestling announcers. He'd kind of make fun of the villains. Mm-hmm. Like he'd have somebody yelling at him. He'd go, would you stop that? You're expectorating lousily. You're expectorating <laughs> lousily. That is a good line. And he would get really outraged at the, the doings of Bulldog Brower ripping up, you know, some chairs at ringside or the other baddies, the Germans and the Russians and what have you. Old school all the way, beloved in Pittsburgh. I can't say I saw him more than 10 times total, but mm-hmm. I really liked him. I really thought he was good. And he, again, another regional guy that maybe Father Time is starting to forget. I don't want him to be forgotten. I'm sure there's a lot of East Coast fans that remember Bill. But I'll cut him to go to Bob Caudill because Bob was great. And ask any other wrestling announcer how great Bob Caudill was, and they'll say the same thing you just said. Yeah, I, I really, I really feel that that he gets overlooked way too often. Um, and remember, he also did. Uh, he was the lead announcer for Smoky Mountain. Yes, he was. Uh, and, so uh, he had a career resurgence. Uh, with Dutch Mantel, the, yeah, yes, with Dutch Mantel. So I mean. Even though you know he wasn't somebody that uh, that just kind of faded away. I mean, he he worked you know, late I, into his career. He may be in the top five of all time. Seriously, he's that good. 
because you could put him in front of a camera. He wouldn't embarrass the promotion. He'd get people over, and he was an ultra-professional. You could hear that voice doing baseball if he wanted to go that route. He was a real announcer. Right. And you know what? I'm happy to report he's 93 and still thriving. He's still alive. I just read that online. Yeah, he, he actually appeared at the uh, the Ric Flair. Uh, mm-hmm. The Ric Flair uh, last match, whatever that was called Event, last year. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he made an appearance there. He had kind of a homespun. He worked for, I in my research, I see he also worked for a long time for Mid-Atlantic, where a lot of people know him from. He also worked for South Atlantic Pro Wrestling and a bunch of other places in the interim. I will say he gave every, every organization was lucky to have him. You could throw him on an A or a B show or a pay-per-view for the NWA. He fit right in. He was perfect. And he did some paper. In fact, I think the original Starcade, the lead announcer was Bob Caudill, if I it remember was, right? correctly. Yeah. 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 So he was as good as any. And so Shivani was just starting out. Shivani was doing backstage interviews at that point. That's exactly yeah. correct. Right, right. But I'll tell you what, Bob, wow. As good as it gets. Really. You know, you think about him. Your eyes go open a little bit, and you go, the standard, one of the standards bearers of, was. of great traditional professional wrestling. Put him, he, fantastic at Smoky Mountain. He was getting up in years at that point. Him and Dutch Mantel were just so natural together. They had great chemistry together. And like, yeah, I completely agree. He was really, really good working with, uh, with those guys, with, with Cornette. Here's a, here's a quote. This is from Jim Ross, and I forget where I got this quote, but he said, working with Bob Caudill was, quote, one of the great joys of my life, and also called him, quote, an honorable and good human being. Uh, I, oh, Ross actually made those comments on his podcast with Cameron Thompson back in January. So that tells you everything you need to know. That's how good of a guy he was. And the, one of the good guys. I love hearing that. You know, he's as good... Off the, you know, behind the scenes as he was, unassuming, just a real pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gorilla Monsoon. I'll let you take this one. Okay, so Gorilla, even more so than Vince McMahon, uh, highly criticized. He probably won the worst announcer of the year awards and the, the observers back in the, back in the day, or if he didn't win, it was, you know, he probably came in second or third. <laughs> I liked, I liked monsoon. Um, again, he was a guy that I grew up with. Uh, he was your, your standard. He was the constant. He was always there on TV doing these things. Um, I was a monsoon fan. I felt like he had a, he, he worked really well with the heels, the heel color commentators, whether it was Ventura, whether it was Heenan, whoever it was. I mean, there was nothing like the bickering back and forth between those guys. Uh, uh, Monsoon and Heenan were magic. They were. Absolutely. I didn't care about the rest of the product. They were legitimately funny. I've seen people who didn't know wrestling from a shoehorn laugh at those two guys. I am telling you, they were the Abbott and Costello of wrestling. They were absolutely brilliant together. And just like like bacon and eggs, they just fit. They were. And I think a big part of that was also because, as as most people know, they were so close. Uh, Heenan and Monsoon were pretty much best friends. I always remember the story of when Heenan, uh, when he left WWF in the early 90s, uh, his last appearance was on a Monday Night Raw and I think it was Heenan who, one of them told the story that uh, after the show, 
don't know if you remember that episode, but like they threw Heenan out of the Manhattan Center. Um, <laughs> and that was his last appearance ever for WWF before he, you know, before he came back oh, years I didn't later. Know that. Yeah. Um, and I think it was Heenan that said that after that show went off the air, they both went to their hotels. One of them went to the other's hotel. And they just hung out all night and they just told stories and they just cried and they just couldn't believe that they weren't going to be working together anymore. That's mm -hmm. how good of a friendship they had. Um, so I think that that has a lot to do with it. I think that their chemistry uh, was a result of being such such great friends that they knew they knew how to play off each other. One of the most moving moments I ever saw in a wrestling program was on WCW. I guess it was Monday Nitro, one of the shows. Shivani and uh, Heenan and Shivani was mentioning that monsoon had passed and Heenan, yes. Heenan was inconsolable. I remember and that. He said just a few words. And I don't remember what those words out of respect to him. I don't want to misquote him, but mm -hmm. you could tell that they loved each other like crazy. Yes. And you can't, you can't fake that. You can't fake that kind of chemistry. You can't fake that kind of uh, camaraderie. And it came through on their commentary and together. And you know what? Oakland and Bina were hilarious too. Mm -hmm. Put them together. They were really good. They, they used were to their little promos together. Best part of that era. Best part of that era. I'm looking back on it. The thing I remember most is Savage versus Steamboat from WrestleMania three, and those commentators. That may be the things I enjoyed the most. It, it, it's true. Um, and even that just reminded me too. Heenan, uh, when he when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he I remember he said he got choked up at the end, and he said the one thing that could have made this night perfect was was if. Uh, Gorilla was here because Gorilla right. had passed, you know, and he and he, and he had he was gone. But um, no, Gorilla was Gorilla was a was a good announcer. Um, I think for that time, that's the that's the thing too. It's like a guy like that around today, it wouldn't be a thing. There's no way somebody like Gorilla Monsoon could be doing that today, just because nowadays everything everybody is so critical of the announcers, and you just you, you have to sort of be a certain way. If he would come out on commentary, you know, within a day, social media, they would say how oh, this is the, this guy's the worst, the worst announcer there is. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think he really had, um, he, he, he had a great, he, he had his style. It was certainly uh, his own style. Um, I never had a problem listening to him at all. I always was really entertained by him. I thought he had a very original style personally. I think that he, um, just to go off on these tangents about injuries, he's got mm -hmm. a ruptured patella with the, the um, medulla yeah. album, got it, and he never would be going, what, who? <laughs> and it was legitimately funny. They managed somehow on serious commentary to inject that kind of wacky humor, you know, and nobody else was doing that. I mean, it was, and, and Monsoon also, you know, he, he's a bohemoth. It's actually the word is behemoth. <laughs> yeah. But that was that was guerrilla style, you know. He was he was something else, and I'll never forget Vader beating the crap out of him when he was commissioner. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. I was, that's right. I, that, not a lot shocks me. That shocked me. Yes, because I thought Gorilla may be a little long to to beat him up. That like must have that, been one of his last appearances, right? Probably. Yeah. 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 Before he went into the position, so to speak. Yeah, and he was replaced by Jim Ross. Jim Ross is the one that wound up taking his spot in the That's WWF. That's probably true. You're right. You're right. Wow. Uh, and also, you remember how everyone used to call him uh, back in the in the early days of his announcing. Some of the guys would call him by his real name. Gino. They would call him Gino, right? Which I always thought was weird. 
But you know, I was talking. I was talking to Brian Solomon about that, and I don't think Gino's not his name either. Nobody knows where Gmail came from. (laughs) Oh, right, because yeah, uh, right, right. But listen, you know what? Let's stop there because you know what? Brian's writing a book on Gorilla as we speak, and I will (laughs) let Brian, who just wrote the greatest book of my wrestling lifetime about the Sheik, I'm going to let Brian's voice on the page take over because this one's going to be really good. I'm telling you, the, the fact that he even thought of writing a book on Gorilla Monsoon is brilliant in and of itself. So that's yeah. going to be really – and when the beginning, when he started in the WWF, he was a Manchurian drooling giant. And all of a yeah. sudden, all of a sudden, 15 <laughs> years later, he's an erudite guy in a tuxedo calling wrestling matches. You Wrestling. Nothing only in wrestling. Like right. Yeah. Only. Yeah. Also, one of the great joys of my life was seeing my friend – my legitimate friend from PWI, where he interned with us, Joey Styles. Yeah. Become hey, he used to win win best announcer for years. Remember that? Oh, yeah. In the in the oh, observer. Yeah. For years. Definitely. What else do I need to say? He was like a combination of Gordon Soley, Vince McMahon, and the guys in the front row with the signs. Yeah. You know, he he was he wore his influences on his sleeve, but he was totally original. May have been the first of the screamers, though, I will admit. Oh, my God. You know, I, you know, and all those things. That kind of opened the door for more flamboyant uh, play-by-play guys. But you know what? He was real good. He was real original. They had fished around looking for announcers. I was one of them. Right. Okay. But I was actually the first one, and they were smart to let me walk because I, I could never – in a million billion years come I could not touch the hem on Joey Styles tuxedo. He was it. He fit ECW like a glove. He had the he I knew the guy. He knew the wrestling backwards and forwards the minute he walked in there for his audition. And I believe I was in the office the day he met Paul Heyman. In fact, I know that's the fact. Really? Paul Heyman came to visit the office one time when he, I forget who he was working with. He was working at ECW. And I don't know if he was in official capacity, but I know he was working with Todd at that point. And we had a conference room, and I sat about 15 feet from the conference room in glass windows. And I saw Joey talking, and I saw Paul talking, and I could smell the bread bacon. And I turned to after Craig Peters, and I said, he's going to work for him. And he did. Oh, yes. I predicted it, and it came true. And it seemed, it just, uh, Joey had the mindset. He's a brilliant. He he knows wrestling better than anybody I ever met, more than I do. I think. I think I know a lot. He knows more than I do. Joey does, and I'll tell you what. He showed it. He showed it in the in the. He didn't even need to be coached. He just sat down and started working. It's just a natural, an absolute natural. I do not understand what happened in, in Joey's career that that made him quit or stop. If I was another, if I was NWA or WCW, I would have hired him. I don't understand, but things happen. I'm not even going to venture a guess. All I know is he may be top 10 all time, too. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, he, um, looking at it, I, I would say Styles wouldn't be, in general, my type of announcer, so to speak, um, just because he was very, uh, you know, kind of loud and, and just, um, you know, he had the catchphrase, the, oh my God. And after a while you would think it would be a little gimmicky, 
but I got to say he made it work. Um, mm-hmm. I can't imagine watching those early ECW shows with that, with somebody other than Joey Styles. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point he just became a superstar. I mean, you couldn't, you, you couldn't watch those shows without him. And to make that style of wrestling work solo, because even though there were play by play guys back in the day, like we said, who were doing it solo for years, that wasn't a concept. I mean, for years and then on in national wrestling, it was, it was unheard of to have one, to have one person at the booth. Right. Right. So for Heyman to, to do that, to bring in styles, I'm just so thankful that he didn't mess it up and have, have him work with someone. I think he did later on, you know, occasionally he would have a guest, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it was just, it was just styles. So I, I think, Heyman deserves a lot of credit too for just keeping it as one man in the booth. Anything could happen to ECW. He did have a guest once, me. And, and while <laughs> yeah. I was doing color commentary, Public Enemy stormed the broadcast area and beat the shit out of Joey Styles. Wow. Legit. And Joey didn't know what was happening. Oh, wow. He, he had no inkling that they were going to do this. And I had no inkling. And I, I hauled ass. <laughs> I figured if they're going to hit him, they're going to hit me too. Yeah. So, or, you know, they were flinging them around, that kind of, they didn't really hit them. They kind of flung them around a lot. And it was like, uh, one time, oh gosh, Joey didn't know it was coming. And I asked Todd about it when he was on the show. And Todd said, I said, what was that? He said, oh, they were, they loved Joey. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they show their love. I guess the way you show your love in wrestling is to beat the living tar out of them. And Joey was not happy. I, I will tell you this. Remember, thinking back to that moment, that thing, Joey wasn't thrilled. And, uh, well, I'll have to, I hope to see Joey again and ask him about his memory of what happened there. According to Todd, it was a rib. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, uh, it's a shame, honestly, that he's not still working in wrestling today. Um, yeah. I think he, he could have a, he, he would have a lot to offer. Um, I don't know exactly what he, he is doing. I don't think he's in uh, working behind the scenes for anyone now. But um, he would be. I, a, he would be a cool hire. A good hire for one of these companies. Do, he was in some sort of business and doing really well, from what I understand. So okay. that, that, I, I don't want to mention business because I don't really remember. But I know unrelated veered, to wrestling. Yes, he had veered oh, off okay. into something else. And was doing just fine. So, Joey, if you're out there, I'd love to see you again sometime soon. I, I, I'd love to have him on the show too. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be. Maybe I can get a hold of him. We'll we'll see. Because I was in contact with him. Oh, geez. I remember how. Okay, Joey, I'm coming after you, buddy. All right. We'll see if we can make this happen. All right. Let's 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 give uh, some shout outs, not as lengthy to a bunch of other people. Have I have you someone on your list that I have not mentioned? Uh, let's see. I would say uh, Mike Tanay. Very good. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, just off the, just kind of thinking of guys that I think are worth mentioning. Um, when you, it's funny, you, we just talked about Joey Styles, and you said that he knows so much about wrestling. Um, Mike, I don't too. know if anybody knows more wrestling than today. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was an encyclopedia. Some of the stuff that he would just roll roll off at, off the top of his head. Um, Great announcer. He had a great sense of humor on the air. He played off uh, his his co commentators really really well. Um, you know, he. I think, I think one of the best things he ever did was when he called the uh, the AAA WCW when Worlds Collide pay per view. If you remember that, mm-hmm. um, 
I don't remember the story exactly, but I think it was something to the effect of none of the WCW announcers really wanted to call it just because they didn't know the Lucha style. Right. And Tanay was pretty learned in it, and he knew a lot about it. He studied it. He knew Mexico, um, and he jumped at the chance. And yeah. I mean, that was an incredible performance that he gave on yeah. that show, getting that that show over. What I liked um, about what I liked about Mike is he never put himself over once, mm-hmm. and that was rare for that era. You know, he didn't have wacky catchphrases or, or a lot of loud vociferousness. He was just meat potato sports. Yeah. Very unlike the era, but it fit like a glove. It really did. Yeah. And he, he perfect choice for TNA Impact, too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Him and- uh, Don West. he worked with Don West a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And among us all, and Taz. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, was that Taz's first announcing? I think it was. Might have been. Or, or did he go uh, from WWE to, to, to Impact or vice versa? I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, I'm trying to think now because he did SmackDown for many yeah, years. Yeah, I think maybe he was WWE first. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, um, yeah. You know, we're going to have to, we're going to do another show on color, man. On, on color. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to say too much on yeah, color. Right. But, well, um, now, anyone else from your list that I have not mentioned? I will say, um, we mentioned them briefly, but in, in talking about somebody else, I'll, I'll just say Tony Schiavone. Okay. Um, I think Shivani is underrated in the sense that he's a guy that kind of gets overlooked. Um, not as far as being remembered. Everybody remembers him. I know he's still working today. Um, but you know, kind of he look he's looked at as being unremarkable, you know, and I think a big part of that was he just was in the shadow of Jim Ross when he was in WCW or the NWA. I think that was a big part of it. It's because, you know, everybody loved Ross. He was the the great announcer. And then Shivani was just kind of there, but he was, he, Shivani just, um, he was always there. He was the constant, you know, he was a guy that just never, he, he was there every week. He had a cup of coffee in the WWF, which right. wasn't a great fit. You know, that really wasn't, wasn't the, I think, the greatest. I think it was, wasn't he part of like assembling the tape library or something at one point or WWE media or, or what they call home video. I think he used to do little cut-ins oh. talking about the VHS tapes they were putting out. Possibly, I think yeah. that was part of his role there. Yeah, but which had um, to be you know, exceedingly unfulfilling, probably. Um, yeah, good, good announcer. I, you know, another thing he gets remembered for is that stupid comment during the Monday Night Raw. Butts in the seats. The mankind, yeah, rock thing. Which you know, mm-hmm. it's it's sad that he gets remembered for that because, as we all know, that was just Bischoff telling him to say it. What was he going to do? He had to say it, but um, he was a good announcer. You know, I, I never had a, I never dislike Tony Schiavone. I always I always liked him and uh, I think he still does a good job today. Yeah, I'll say in his prime he was real good. Real good. Yeah. He could he could go. He was fine. Uh I'll I'm gonna bring up some just short not short shrifting him, but people I remember. Okay. Milt Evruskin, who people he was kind of like it was just as if Bill Apter and Jerry Lewis became a wrestling announcer. Like, people didn't like but he was a real fan's Type of guy. Mm-hmm. You're a little nebbishy guy, but he really, oh, we're going to have a lot of excitement, a lot of laughs, a lot of fun on this episode. And he could he could put over the heels. He worked with Gino Brito for a while, and nobody saw this guy unless we have some Canadian fans up there who would vouch for my liking of Milton Ruskin. Um, I thought he was a professional-sounding announcer. You could tell he had had TV or radio background. There's no question about it. Some people didn't like him because he was so, oh, gosh, you know, one of those, you know, Kind of nebbishy, 
But yeah. Uh, yeah. he was a pro and I enjoyed his work. I, besides, it got me through college when I missed my girlfriend. So I was watching <laughs> a lot of wrestling on a little 10-inch black and white TV that you had to put batteries in. I'm not making this up. This is what I yeah. did when I went to yeah, know, yeah. college. So that's one. Also, Les Thatcher was real smooth. The former wrestler in um, he did Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. He did Smoky Mountain for a while. He did Southeastern Championship Wrestling and Georgia Championship Wrestling. He was so professional, you never know he was a former wrestler and a trainer. He was really smooth. He was really good. I believe he's still with us uh, to this day and an underrated announcer. I thought he was real good. Again, he worked for Cornette, I think, when Cornette first started. And uh, good. Did you ever hear him? Uh, not too much. Not too much. No, I don't think I ever have. Most people know him as a trainer. Yeah, you know, in, really in later years. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sam Meneker. <laughs> All wrestling fans come to the air-cooled, uh, you know, what was it, Montpelier High School to see Dick the Bruiser against the Wild Samoan Man or whatever it was. He was funny. Sam Meneker, former wrestler. Gruff old guy would hold the mic. We'll be right back after these messages. I mean, he was just so old school that you had to love him. You know, he's cheating and the referee isn't seeing it. You know, it's just you get really mad at Ox Baker and, you know, Dick the Bruiser when he was a heel. Mm-hmm. And um, when you watch, it's one of the few things you can watch on YouTube from Dave Dynasty. You can look at the video, hear Sam Minnicker, and know what year it was. You don't even have to look it up. <laughs> you knew it was between 1970 and 1976. No question about it. You could you could just tell that's where these these tapes were from. And he was that old school, hated the bad guys, openly rooted for the good guys. Fun. Sam Minnicker was fun to listen to. Any experience hearing him or? I don't believe I ever have, no. Okay. See, I'm so old, you know. That's why I, that's why I do a show like this. How about Lord Athol Layton? No. He was he was the announcer for the Sheik during the glory years. And he was great. He was a big, strong former wrestler who also happened to be British. Hello, wrestling fans. We're going to present an evening of wrestling featuring favorites of yours and mine. And he would he would get out there and he would actually get so mad, like doing studio wrestling. And if the Sheik was fouling him, he'd walk up to the ring and smack the Sheik with his suit on, reach into the ropes and smack him. <laughs> it was great. I believe this man is an animal. You know, he just had that be- kind of p- picture of way more masculine Lord Alfred Hayes. I was going to say, yeah, like Lord way Alfred Hayes. Way more masculine. Yeah. This guy was big and strong and tough. He was like 6'6". Six, six. Mm-hmm. And oh, this man is fouling. The referee doesn't see him fouling, but we see it. You see it on your television tube. You know, it was just perfect. Perfect guy to get the chic over. You can hear him in um, I Love to Hurt People film. If you've ever okay. seen that. Yes, you can hear yeah. Lord, Lord Layton on those. And there's some, again, I think it's, can't remember, I think it's Dave Dynasty has some old chic tapes from the 70s. You can hear Lord Ethel Layton on a few of those shows. And he also did Australia. He worked in Australia as well. Back huh. when uh, Jim Barnett's federation there was red hot. Oh, God, that was, that was great stuff. That Australian stuff was great. Roger Kent with the AWA always sounded like he had a mouthful of mashed potatoes, but he could get the stuff over. Oh, 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 Vashon, Vashon's got an artery cut. Somebody put some pressure on that. You know, he, he was just, 
He was so old school. Vince, for some reason, Vern Gagne always hired announcers who sounded like they were 80 years old. Between him and Ron <laughs> Trongard, when he was Ron on Trongard, yes, yeah. Was, who later got hired by the WWF only, bec- only because Vince was hiring away everybody. Yeah. I think that's the only reason. He wanted, he wanted to deplete everybody else's rosters and just drive them all out of business. He would hire even Ron Trongard. Yes. From coast yeah. to coast and sea to sea. <laughs> AWA World Championship Wrestling. The the full-blooded Choctaw Chickasaw Indian Chief Wahoo McDaniel. You know, he was just that old, old school get him over guy. Um, yeah. That was Tron Trongard. Yeah, Trongard didn't last. He, he he had to last barely a year, right, in the WWF. He was, I think they only put him when they would show clips from arenas. I don't think he did any yeah. of the syndicated no, or any of this no. stuff. Yeah. But they had a lot of guys that, you know, let's talk about that for just a second. The WWF had so many guys that passed through there. It's crazy. They had Ken Resnick for a while, who was from the AWA. That's right. You know? He did, he did the, uh, he did like Mean Gene's job, right? Yeah, I think for he a did while, some of the yeah. Backstage interviews. And yeah. again, we mentioned Jack Reynolds, Ron Trongard. There was tons of them. Philadelphia, the horrible duo of Dick Graham and. Cal Rudman, the top 40 guy. Oh, good gosh. Yeah. That was painful to listen to. If you've ever seen tapes of Philadelphia Spectrum Wrestling, I'm sure they were mm-hmm. wonderful guys, but boy, <laughs> oh boy. No, that's of all the wrestling teams I've ever seen, the Philadelphia Rudman and um, Graham tapes were possibly the two worst cast people I've ever seen in wrestling in terms of what they were showing. Wow. They they seemed to not know anybody. And when they walked in, they just kind of let stuff happen in front of them. Well, that's the Clunas mean, you know, they, they had no, no background. Uh, Nothing. Yeah. Oh boy. Painful. Ooh. <laughs> it sounds like it. Ooh. I, you know, we're here to praise people though. I, I mean, what would we have done without the sounds of our growing up with all these announcers, man? I mean, I'm thinking back to all the names. We must have talked about 25, 30 guys here. And yeah. I'm telling you what, boy, did they entertain us, right? They did. And that's what it's all about. I mean, we talked about guys with, we've spoken about guys with different styles, you know, um, mm-hmm. some of them more low key, some of them the more exaggerated. Um, but that was the name of the game. They all were entertaining, you yes, know, and they, they, they all did, they all really did, uh, did a great job. And you know, this, this is how much I love traditional old school wrestling. Every name I mention, I hold them all in the highest esteem. Every one of them. These are the people that entertain me. They're the people who informed me when I was with the wrestling magazines. I got to know a couple of them. And you know what I want to throw in? Because he passed away and I almost forgot him. Worked for the AWA. I, I was a big Larry Nelson fan. But also Lee Marshall, who I had some dealings with. Oh, right. Lee Marshall may have been the best speaking voice of anybody we heard. Do you know he was Tony the Tiger? No, I he didn't was. know that. Yes, it's great. It, that was Lee Marshall for a spell. Oh, wow. I was going to say, yeah, he did have a great voice. Yeah, that that real baritone, bassy yeah. voice. And a nice man, and he left us far too soon, and he was a good announcer. He ended up working for WCW, if you remember, when they expanded. Yeah, he did WCW in the late 80s, I think. Yeah, and Lee was... I get a little choked up. Uh, he was, that's part of my work past. 
And I ended up talking to him about AWA stuff all the time. And then when he worked with WCW, I talked to him again. Uh, I only met him once, but I talked to him on the phone a lot. Was, I had contacts that I would talk to. And uh, when Bill couldn't call people, I would call them for Bill and get some information. Uh, you know, there was a handful of guys, Lee Marshall, George South. Yes, the George South. Um, that I ended up talking to a lot on the telephone. I Greg Gagne a few times, mm-hmm. um, Dusty, Harley Race. They were people that I, I talked to on more than a few occasions. And to me, that was the treat. You know, just getting to talk to these people and get information. Oh, from yeah. Them, you know? uh, a, a few of the WCW executive types who will remain nameless because I don't want to. If they're not working in the business, I won't embarrass them. But that's what made the job fun when you could get information, really talk to the sources, you know, good stuff. Yeah. Paul, Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman used to call. I remember talking to him on the phone about what was going on. He was booking IWCCW at one point, if you can believe wow. it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he did amazing work in Continental. I mean, Paul Heyman's secret stuff. Somebody should, should release a tape. Paul Heyman's secret stuff. And his work with IWCCW, his work with Continental and a few smaller federate, his early work with the NWF, the revival of that, when they had DC Drake and Larry Winters and all those guys. I'm telling you, you could see the brilliance of Paul Heyman even in those early years before he started with WCW and everything else. He had it. He had it. This, I'm pointing at my head, folks. <laughs> Paul, Paul Heyman was born to be in wrestling. Oh, yeah. In, in more ways than one. No yeah, doubt. No doubt. So anyway, there you go, folks, the announcers. If you folks, if you folks are listening and you didn't hear a name that you enjoyed, write to us at uh, outdatedwrestling at gmail.com. Bring it up and we'll read your comment on the show. In fact, I want more of you to write. I, I get a lot of, I do get a lot of uh, Gmail stuff, but a lot of it is I love the show, that type of thing, and I appreciate that, and I always write back. But I if you want to talk about something or want us to talk about something in the show, let us know. We're an open book. Um, uh, you know, any topic, or if you want to add names to the list we just did, give us an example. I'm sure we missed somebody, right, Joe? I mean, I'm sure there's somebody really obvious we didn't touch on. There's got to be. But the amount of the amount of wrestling promotions, and for the years that we're talking here, from like yeah. the '60s till now, I mean, yeah. It's, it's there has to be yeah there's got to be tons of them i mean i'm trying to remember who called like when terry funk beat harley race who called that match i don't remember but it was probably some legendary name right from you know the nwa one of the right. one of the territories within the nwa back then because that was the nwa was huge back then and i'll bet it was somebody legendary and we didn't even probably mention them so this is what I mean. I know there's holes in the Swiss cheese, folks. So let us know <laughs> who you think should be on this list. And Joe Puccio should be on everybody's list because this is a, a very knowledgeable wrestling expert who has written for more publications than I've had hot dinners or something like that. Because um, I haven't written in quite a few years. What are you up to these days? I, I know you've worked for so many companies. What's going on right now? Yeah, so uh, currently I am working for uh, for a website called generationxwire.com. Um, <clears throat> pretty much we cover everything that would 
basically appeal to people from the, 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 that identify as Generation X, which is basically <laughs> people that were born from, let's say, 64, 65, all the way through like 1980, 1981. That being said, obviously, it's there's there's material for everybody. But I mean, it's it's the best of music and and television and sports and film and wrestling, of course. Uh, so we cover it all. Um, so I, I would, uh, I would love for everybody to check that out. Um, not very active these days on social media as I once was, but, uh, occasionally I, I am on, uh, on Twitter or formerly called Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. and, and Instagram at, at JT Puccio, P-U-C-C-I-O. Um, and when I'm not, uh, working for, for, uh, for these websites, uh, my quote unquote, uh, shoot job is, uh, I'm an, I'm an editor and an editorial trainer for a newswire service. Uh, so it's still in the journalism field. It's just that we're not covering too much, uh, too much wrestling in, uh, in my day job. Uh, although you'd be surprised we do, uh, do get a little bit every once in a while. I, I am a little jealous of you because it's like I was in various forms of publishing and various forms of writing and editing from 1982 to 2021. That's a good run. Okay. I was in it all the time. I loved print publishing with all my heart. And I held on these last 10 or 15 years by my fingernails, woefully unemployed. I still wanted, oh, not unemployed, underemployed woefully underemployed i still wanted to be part of publishing old school publishing because there were standards to it news gathering all that kind of thing communications and i saw what i did drying up there's one wrestling magazine left maybe two if you count inside the ropes from england um you know it's just it's all gone and i know you're a journalist you must hate seo as much as i do i just won't do it i had an opportunity on several occasions to do it I won't, I'd rather not do it than give up my standards. I could sit down and write for any publication in the world right now. There's no question about it. I I could, you know, but where are they? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, they're gone. I mean, r- old school writing is is almost, I see what, I see what passes for news gathering these days and I cringe, but any yeah. enough about me, but the point I'm trying to make is. I'm a little jealous of you because you're still kind of in that world. You're still, you know, in communications and in, 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 you know, gathering news and stuff like that. And, and part of me misses it greatly. But now I'm working. In, I do have a shoot job, as Dave Dynasty says, and I'm in sports media for a sports media company in Long Island, and I'm flourishing here. And I'm I consider myself Great. at my age super lucky to be here. I mean, everything's going really well for me, and I hope they're going well for you too, man. And you have been such an important part of. Joe Puccio of um, the the fast start we got on this show. I can't thank you enough for your two appearances here. You're welcome anytime we can we can put something together. Um, you're one of a kind, and I I can't I don't I can't express my gratitude for you being on our show. Uh, Bob, likewise, I uh, I'm very thankful that you asked me to be on the show, and uh, I feel the same way. Huge fan uh, of yours. Uh, Longtime Pro Wrestling Illustrated reader, obviously, mm-hmm. as we've spoken about, and uh, and I love your podcast. I think you you do a great job with that. I listen each week, so uh, I appreciate that, and uh, I would love to uh, to do it anytime. You know, when when I met you, I think we met on social media of all things. 
And you buried your lead, dude. Like when we met, I had no idea what you did. We were just talking something that was going on currently, I think. And then I had already booked you on the show. I said, can you give me a little, a little, you know, piece of what you've been and what you've been doing? And I see you wrote for The Observer for a while. You wrote for, I guess, the Pro Wrestling Torch. I'm like, holy smokes. I had no idea you had done these things. Your resume is probably as detailed as any of the top 10 so-called wrestling writers around the country right now. So you've done it all. You've worked for all the best publications and uh, I can see why. I mean, it's, you've got the uh, knowledge base plus the uh, sensibility needed to properly report on this weird ass stuff that we like. <laughs> you know, It is weird too. I always tell the story about uh, this is how I know I had a weird job with PWI. It's like uh, somebody asked Bill after B- Bill, was Kamala there? He meant to call Kamala, the Ugandan giant. Bill, was Kamala there? And he says, no, but Mrs. Kamala said he'd be back by six. <laughs> Only in wrestling. Only in wrestling. Can you have a conversation like that and and not fall on the floor laughing? You know, it's such a weird... Covering well, wrestling I, was weird. But people, people to this day will still ask me. People that are not necessarily wrestling fans, or maybe they were wrestling fans when they were when they were younger, and mm-hmm. they're not anymore. And people, when they they still ask me, you know, what is it about wrestling? Why do you still watch it? What do you like about it? And I mean, honestly, I can't really say it's one specific thing, but it's just I know that it's not like anything else. As we've right. talked about, wrestling right. is its own thing and you will never find anything quite like it. And I think that is actually one of its great appeals for me. And and you're right, because I can't criticize today's younger fans at all. And I'll tell you why, even though I don't agree with them ever. But I can't criticize them because they only know what they're seeing now. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. If they're seeing it now and they get the same bug that you and I got when we were 12, 13, 14 years old and they have to tune in next week because they're hooked. I know what that felt like. Yes. That was me. I was really into it as a youth and right into my whole life. Yeah. I mean, I was still buying PWI and Inside Wrestling six months before I got a job there totally out of the blue. So I'm a lucky guy. But the thing is, if they're feeling that same vibe that you and I did when we were teenagers, God bless them. Knock yourself out. Have fun. I don't care what you're watching. I don't care what the product is. Life is short. You're going to find that out. Savor the flavor, man. I mean, there's nothing else like wrestling when it's good. And um, Absolutely. That's it. That's why we're here. That's why I do this show. When I talk to you, Joe, and other guests we've had, I feel like I'm 25 years old. I don't feel like I'm my age. It's because we're going back in time and looking at the stuff that thrilled us when we were kids. Right. And that's what I'm hoping we impart with every episode of this show. And you know what? I was in a lousy mood when we started taping. I told you about some stuff that happened in my personal life. Now I feel better, and I want to thank you for getting mad at my funk because, you know, once we get rolling on these shows, it starts to get fun, and especially when we do these real blasts from the past like this one was. This was a blast from the past for sure. Coming back soon, please say yes. Absolutely. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, the multi-talented Joe Puccio, thank you for being here once again. Thank you, Bob. Well, we hope you had as much fun as we did looking back at the great wrestling announcers. I think they were all great. Every name I mentioned, I've got such an admiration for something I tried to do was 
probably pretty mediocre at trying it, but you know what? I have such respect for them all. And so many of them gave me such great moments uh, throughout my whole lifetime. So let's hear it for the announcers for making TV worth turning on. Time for some housekeeping. Um, Morgan Williams is the newest member of the outdated Wrestling Hour fan club. Took a couple of shows to get this out since he, he joined, but I want to thank him personally and invite him to our upcoming September Zoom meeting. It actually is a Zoom. It would be another platform, but I'm calling it a Zoom meeting to uh, just talk, kibitz, talk wrestling, get to know each other, and thank you all profusely for being part of the outdated wrestling fan club. For a nominal fee, these guys are uh, checking us out. Uh, they'll have an opportunity to have little uh, virtual get-togethers like this, plus some. there's a lot more to it um we're going to have some contests in the future with with some small prizes and i'm hoping that everybody would be interested in this and also you're helping us keep the show going into perpetuity we want to keep the show going as long as we can anything helps and uh we value you listeners like i can't tell you what this means to me is just top of the world stuff you're making this such a pleasure like I said earlier, when I started this podcast and I was in lousy moods some stuff happened, didn't like the state of current wrestling. Some people are, are using my name flippantly and I'm, I don't appreciate it. But you know what? This tonight's show, tape and tonight's show made me feel better and I feel great now. And I feel great that you're here and you're listening to the entire program. Um, to contact us, it's uh, outdatedwrestling at gmail.com. Say anything you want to say. Our website, we can hear every show and find out about the fan club. You can hear every show. Okay. You don't need a podcast app. It's outdated wrestling hour dot buzzsprout.com. That's outdated wrestling hour dot buzzsprout.com. On Facebook, I'm Bob Smith. Which one? Mr. Plain Name McGee. Well, I'm the one singing with BB King. None of the others are doing that. So you'll find me singing with BB on the front page of my Facebook. I'm also at Twitter at BobSmithNYC. I hardly use it. Facebook is best and email is best, really. And I'm on some other platforms, but they're not really worth getting into. I'm doing, I do Instagram too, but it's I hardly, you know, it's not worth it. I think keeping it simple, Facebook, email, outdatedwrestling at gmail.com. Like I said, if you have some announcers that you didn't hear their names mentioned, their favorites of yours, let us know. Let us know why you love them. We love you. We really do. Uh, we started in January. It's now heading for October. We're still running along here, and things are a lot of fun. We got some great guests scheduled. Like I said, we have a, a fan club Zoom meeting coming soon. We got a trivia contest. It should be a, a ball of laughs for some really menial prizes. <laughs> and we hope you're along for the ride. We hope you're enjoying all this. Love that old school wrestling, don't you? Can't help it. Always will. So until next time, my name is Bob Smith, the old wrestling magazine guy, and I want you to take care of yourself best you can.